Hi, this is Tamika with Shisha of the Valley Hookah Catering, listening to some real shit podcasts. Shisha of the Valley LLC is the only company bringing the hookah lounge to you. We cater private events, dinner parties, pop-ups, bars, and restaurants. Please contact us for more information, 760-422-5112. Again, 760-422-5112. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Some Real Shit Podcast, a reality podcast. I'm your host, Stacy, and today we are interviewing Mr. Joseph Leonard, author of Terror Strikes, Coming to a City Near You. Okay, I'll go on with the assumption that you've read the bio. Like I read bio. Like my bio says, I am a former IT guy and, you know, a lifelong Michigan resident. But, of course, a life is a whole lot of other things other than what you do for a living and where you live. <laughs> uh, I've had a varied background. I've, done, I've been in automotive. I've been in retail. I've... I, I, uh, but mainly in IT, and in, in the IT actually is in varying different roles with varying different organizations. So you learn a lot of other things outside of the information technology world itself by working for those various other entities. And I, I've been writing my whole life. I, I started writing like when I was in grade school, you know, what you don't get out of the general short bio that gets shared is that my father was Thaddeus M. Leonard Jr., Ted Leonard Jr. for short, and he created the band The Polka Kings. Now, they, you know, they've been gone long, but their albums still remain out there to be found to this day. So I kind of, and my dad's dad, Ted Leonard Sr., had polka bands too. So in the early 80s too, I dabbled in music. But, you know, that was long before the internet. And anybody can now record a song, you know, on a laptop with software and put it online and sell it for 99 cents, you know? (laughs) Back then, you had to get a record deal. And I wasn't good enough in music to get a record deal, but I got that creative gene from my dad's side and just always kept writing. And uh, this Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You was the first book that I felt was really ready to be offered to the world. I I, I think you know what I mean. I've written a lot of other things and they've been published on a small scale local level. You know what I mean? But this was the first book that I felt was a very important messaging and a story that people could enjoy uh, that I felt was okay for me to say, okay, you know, because in this day and age, with the price of everything going through the roof, 
and part reason why I kept the book down in size, felt comfortable enough saying, okay, asking people $20 for this book, I can feel comfortable with myself asking that. You know what I mean? I certainly wouldn't want someone to shell out $20 for something that I didn't feel was really worth your time. Okay. So the book now, is this, I mean, is this more like you're, you're for the whole, you know, gun thing, or is this basically against it or just the type of, cause I read the bio just briefly. And um, can you tell us just a little bit more about, you know, what the book um, encompasses? Well, the book, you can tell by the title, Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You. Uh, it's out now because a lot of people seem to be under the delusion that terrorism went away during the Wuhan virus scare in the lockdowns. It didn't. It's just that the news channels were focusing on the virus and the, you know, the fear porn as it's often called, you know, how the news, if, if it bleeds, it leads the old saying, you know, and anything to scare people to death, to get them to tune in and, and get the eyeballs to see the news for the ratings. So terrorism really wasn't reported on, but it hasn't gone away which is one of the main points and focus of the book. And like we've seen lately, after Joe Biden launched the drone strike on Ayman al-Zawar, no longer Hiri, as I call him jokingly, al-Zawar Hiri, I call him no longer Hiri, just to kind of rub it in his face. <laughs> but uh, you know, after that, retaliation strikes are very likely. And in fact, on the news the other day, Rudy Giuliani, who was mayor of New York City during the time of 9-11, said the other day, he fears that we may be even more at risk now than we were when 9-11 occurred. Because so many people vowed to never forget but they seem to have forgotten. And we've gone back to a 9-10 mentality, as they say. And then also, this book isn't just about terrorism. It's, a, it's about a lot of sub-themes. But terrorism is the main theme that drives the storyline. We follow Martin, a Detroit newspaper man, who decides to write a book on terrorism. So my book is following him as he prepares and does research to write his book on terrorism. That's the main driving storyline, but it's about a lot of things like, you know, family and, uh, and I always say this about the book, despite the title, Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You, which is to supposed to invoke a degree of, 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 uh, of finality that it's here, they're here, they're, they're right around the corner, they could strike at any minute. But this book is not about death. I say it's a book about life, 
and living and those both foreign and domestic that want to deprive you of your life, liberty, and happiness. So this book is not about peddling fear porn like the news does. It's about life and living, like I said, living your life, but not being stupid at the same time, being awake and alert to what's going on around you. Like I say in the Naperville chapter near the end, Teresa re finally realizes she was more of an ostrich than the mama bear she needed to be to protect her child. So live your life, but be awake and alert. That is extremely intriguing and very profound. I mean, like when you were talking, I was just like getting like really just falling into the whole storyline. Um, I'm, I'm a big advocate for reading. And I realized when I got involved in all of this, you know, um, electronics and Facebook and all that other stuff, how I would just find myself just dumbing myself down because I started like doing all these little, you know, um, what I guess these little short versions, abbreviations, like IDK instead of I don't know. And then after a while, I was like, oh my God, I can't even spell to save my life. And you know, it was funny. It's like, I was younger and I was in advanced English classes. I was writing stories for my friends, little stories in high school. My friends would love it. And then like, I'd always had even, you know, had a, like a 12th grade learning when I was in middle school and then all of a sudden like now I'm older and I'm just like I can't even remember how to spell a word <laughs> and I have to like seriously go back to just reading a book like putting the phone down I mean now like I kind of like I took seven months off from even being on any social media and I know since I'm um, promoting the podcast like I know I have to get on social media and do my marketing that way but every once in a while, I need to, um, like, pick up a book and continue on with my reading and stuff. And, you know, this is what sometimes I feel like people are missing is just engaging and using more, uh, more words for their vocabulary. That's like the first thing and grammar, like biggest thing. Um, but reality, that's what I think it is. We get sucked into the reality of what is going on inside of social media, like vacations. I mean, that's all great. That's like what we hope for. This is what we want in life. We want to be able to sit around and um, sit on a beach or sit in our house and just chill and relax and not worry about there's a big nuclear war about to pop off or there's a terrorism about to pop off. But the reality of it is, is that us sitting in our house being so complacent, allowing other people to dictate what's going on around us and not paying attention to what is really out there. Like, you know, we're, we're destroying the earth and sooner or later that's going to destroy us before any nuclear bombs going to destroy us before any terrorism destroys us because we just throw things in landfills. We're using plastic, the cancer stuff that people are sitting there talking about. Oh, how did I get cancer? I didn't even smoke. Well, because look at the water. Look at the stuff that we, like I get letters from um, my uh, building management and as because I live in California, they have to send out these letters saying, 
this particular chemical that we're using may cause cancer and we're just giving you the heads up so that way you know so that way you can't sue us over it and it's like it's it's about covering their ass exactly it's 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 uh we've become so legal there are so many laws and so many restrictions and so many regulations and the lawyers i mean the lawyers are getting rich because of like you said everybody's got to cover their ass they've got to put legalese in everything that goes out to cover themselves because we are such a litigious society like there is no common sense anymore you eat bad things bad things will happen but yet people are too stupid to grasp that this these days and like you said about the spelling and everything we're becoming a dumber and dumber and dumber society and you touched on it i blame social media we are in a twitter mentality world if you can't fit it in 140 characters and in order to do so everybody's abbreviating everything in order to get in because it, not every thought can be properly conveyed in 140 characters that's why i'm on a bunch of other well actually i'm no longer on twitter uh because they permanently suspended me the other day that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, but you got snapped by twitter <laughs> yeah. So, but I prefer the other social media sites anyway, because there are more characters. It's not that you can drone on forever on a topic, but some things aren't black and white. There's a lot of gray and a lot of nuance. And if you don't carefully word things and spell it out, people lack context. Like something I post today has to be read in context of everything I've posted prior to that. And people are lacking that common sense. You know what I mean? You make you make a statement and people read the wrong thing into it because they're lacking the context. And, and then that's the beautiful thing about writing a book is you have the space to provide uh, the deep thought uh, behind what you're saying and, and, and to say additional things to make sure the point you're trying to get across is the point they get rather than them reading something into it that is not your intent. Oh, I've had that on social media. When the whole uh, Trump thing was going on and someone must have said, I guess because Trump is like a trigger. If you Trump is like saying racism, like Trump is no longer affiliated with million dollar or billion dollar uh, CEO, and like everybody used to look up to him at one point. But then when he decided to become president, his name is um, now affiliated with the word racism. So um, one of my friends posted something about the wall, and I said if it keeps all the rapists and bad people out, then maybe it's a good idea. And then one person got on there because I said that and they were like, oh, so that means you're a racist? And I'm like, are, are you serious? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I did not say any racial words. I did not slur anything. 
the N word, any word was not said, you know, and it was like, all of a sudden I get that. I was like, people honestly don't know the definition of racism. That's why black people usually are the ones to first be like, well, I'm not racist. I know what racism is because they feel like when you're attacking their whole culture and you're saying it in a way that is just like, our culture is bad. Our culture is this. You got to like go back to Africa and this is, you're the N word like that to me. And you got to drink out of this and you can't be around us. Like that is racism, but protecting our, our space, like the people that are here now that are good people are regardless of what color you are, what color race you are, it doesn't matter. We are protecting you guys. We don't want rapists in here. I don't care what color you are. We just don't want rapists in here. Exactly. So and it lasts. I didn't, have, I, didn't have the, I didn't have the big long letters or the big, you know, the space to write all of that. But once the person just went on a tantrum, I was just like, wow, you just have a personal issue. So I'm just going to let that go. Yeah, well, it's funny that Trump, there was no trouble with Trump before he ran for president. He has won dozens of NAACP and BET awards. Uh, he, he was close with, uh, you know, he won a Rosa Parks award. And, you know, all these things about helping the black community until he ran for president, then all of a sudden, he had to be racist. And like you said, protecting the southern border is not about hating Hispanics. It's about rule of law. And there are laws. And we are for immigration. But you need to knock on the front door, ask to come in. And we have a right to, like you said, reject rapists and murderers and drug peddlers. And, and pedophiles and, and all those things to protect our citizens. It has nothing, nothing to do with race. And I do touch on immigration briefly in my book because of this. There have been, this year alone, more than 150 people captured coming over the southern border that are on terror watch lists. They're not coming here because they're they want yearning to be free or just want a job picking grapes. They're here to kill us. And an open border is a dangerous security issue. And another thing, it's not just Mexicans or South Americans. There have been people captured coming across the open southern border from more than two hundred countries on this planet and a lot of those countries full of people that hate us and want to kill us so yeah you have a door on your house you expect people to knock and be invited in and you welcome them you know what yeah but a criminal breaking into your house needs to be prosecuted they don't get to just come in and say, ah, you own this? No, you don't own it, really. You don't own anything. And I get to help myself to the food in your refrigerator. No, that's not how it works. We are to be neighborly. And no one I know has a problem with being neighborly. And I'm a Christian. 
So being your brother's keeper, that is a personal responsibility and duty to be charitable to each other. It is not for government to dictate or government to just allow anybody and everybody to come in and steal from us. Well, I'm glad you said that, but the thing of the, about it is that people also need to understand is there might be people I know, and I'm just going to tell you from experience, I'm an immigrant myself. I was not born here, but I had my papers and everything um, legally. I actually didn't even want to come to the country when I was six years old because I loved my life where I was at. But um, since I lived here and I started living the life, I just became a Californian and this is what I know. This is my life, you know? And um, But I know from experience about people who are from my country who actually um, were uh, were eventually here at one point, but they got deported because of some misdemeanor or some not mis misdemeanor because misdemeanors don't send you back to your country, but felonies that send you back to there. And then they hit me up one day and they were like, hey, you know, can you send me some money? I'm going to get like um, a friend who's going to take me over here to this border by boat and then they're going to take me in through the Mexican border and mind you they are not Mexican obviously and this kind of explains why I had that experience one time when I accidentally drove across the border into Mexico and my Jamaican license plate um, or Jamaican princess that was on my car uh, red flagged the border patrol <laughs> and I was like, what? And they were like, I was like, the car's in my name. I've been living in this in the United States since I was six years old. You're telling me my friends have to go get my green card, but my driver's license and my thing is not enough for you? Are you serious right now? Well, and they're like, well, how do we know who you are? I'm like, as my driver's license said so, which is issued by the state of California and the, like, are you serious? Did you have but, your passport with you? No, this was way back in the days before they started the passport thing. Yeah. So they, they actually let me go because this was way back in the days when, you know, and, and on top of it too, it was one of our birthday and we were, I was crying. I was like, I don't want to get deported. I am not going to know anybody. Like, who am I going to get deported to hang out? Like I have family members in Jamaica, but what like what am i gonna do like i don't have no credentials out there and so what are you gonna deport me to a country i don't even live in like my address is in california yeah well the only issue there is that it is very easy nowadays the smugglers and everybody are uh very sophisticated like i said i'm an it guy i mean it is very easy that's why a passport is is important but that can even be faked. But your record should be good. But they can literally fake a driver's license real easy. And they can literally hack the DMV system and put a phony record in pretending you are who you claim to be, even though you aren't. So I, I you know, I, I sympathize with your situation. But until you've read my book or, or know a lot of the other things that I know, <laughs> uh, you, 
I, I don't know what to, what how I want to word this, but uh, but there's I mean there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that the average person just does not know, and why they are very suspicious. And if they are in the least bit suspicious, they do want to detain you and talk to you and 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 you know see if you are who you say you are uh, because usually the criminals will triple they will accidentally say something in your case obviously you were who you said you were and you're a good american and like i say i support legal immigration some of the best uh most patriotic americans i know are immigrants because they escaped shithole countries that they were escaping socialism elsewhere that's why they came to america to escape and there's nowhere else to go but so it was clear you were who you said you were whereas a criminal a coyote a trafficker or someone trying to come over illegally well if they talk to them long enough well mistakenly say something that gives them away oh yeah and and to top it off it was our friend's i think it was our friend's birthday or it was my birthday i don't know i know that i was drunk in the back seat my friend was sober so it was a good thing that he realized like hey look at my driver's license it's one of our birthdays i don't remember whose birthday we keep debating about that whole situation whose birthday it was but I keep saying it was my birthday because I was the drunk one in the back seat. <laughs> and right. So um, I'm just thinking that he looked at all the birthdays and he's like, oh, yeah, okay. So it makes sense. It's one of the girls' birthday. They're drunk. They, two black or three black girls in Mexico decided to go. They were confused, didn't stop in Tijuana, went straight all the way in, got stuck, then tried to get back. Um, through the border. So literally we were in Mexico within, you know, from California to Mexico within like 10, 15 minutes. Yep. So there was no, you know, we could see that we were all lost and confused. And um, I was crying because I was like, oh, I'm getting deported, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, they, they got, you know, they understood my only thing about it, and, and I would have understood if they had to detain me because that was my fault for not bringing my green card with me. Um, but the only thing that I have to say nowadays, you know, and people don't realize it, and you're talking about people being woke or the awakening, is that other people try to get into this country legal ways, but then they're also dirtbags too because I've known um, people who come into this country you know, through marriage or visa or whatever it is, and they turned out to be rapists and pedophiles. So it's like, they're still going to come in, even if you put up a, um, you know, I know he's trying to keep the people with guns out. You know what I mean? The ones that have this, and a way of tracking whether or not they're in some gang or some mafia or some, some sort of things. But just keep in mind also, that they could just marry some, you know, woman, lonely woman who wants to just have attention over the internet. And then, you know, that's why we were doing a thing on online dating in one of the episodes. And they bring them into the country and they turn out to be some dirtbag. Yeah. So no, that, that's that, another way they're getting in too. 
You're absolutely right. Con, yeah, criminals are often good cons too. And like you said, they find some lonely person on the internet and they, they, they trick them into thinking they're the love of their lives and they're not who they represent and they trick their way into the country. So I agree with you. That's, that's a lot harder to police than an open border though, <laughs> of course. And, well, uh, people just need a women in particular, or men, lonely men, lonely women in particular. They need to like kind of be aware of that being out there and look for um, those red flags. Yeah, it's a different form of the old Nigerian prince email scam. <laughs> oh, if you remember that, you know. I do remember that, but it's in every country. I'm telling you, I'm from Jamaica. They're they're out there in Jamaica too. Everybody wants to come to this country, and they'll come by any means necessary. And it's like, oh, I'll come over here, and you know, I'll I'll get pregnant by this lonely, you know, dude that I'm probably not attracted to, but he can get me in, and he's lonely, and he, I make him happy. He'll give me the world, that sort of thing, or vice versa with the females. You know, there's a lonely yeah. female. Yeah, they'll do whatever it is. So it's like it's not. We're not directing any of this just to the Hispanic culture. Yeah, but we're just you, you touched on something there. Anchor baby bills. That that there's a big thing in California. So you maybe already know this, whereas others don't. But a lot of Chinese nationals come they're, they're called birthing vacations they come to the united states just to drop their child because if it's born on the u.s soil it's an american citizen then they use that anchor baby as a means to get into and stay in the country uh, legally uh basically a loophole uh so yeah i mean there's a lot of cons a lot of ways uh, to work, to work around that. And you know what? America is a big place. I mean, we could fit quite a few people, but there's such a thing as there needs to be assimilation time. We can't just uh, allow another hundred million people, anybody and everybody that wants to come here to just show up all at once. It has to build gradually and in and, and orderly over time. Well, that's because America still hasn't figured out the homeless situation. So how can you bring in, I mean, I'm sure when you bring in or you come here, there should be an open apartment if you're willing to work and make the money. Even if you're bringing your baby here, I'm sure there's, you know, people who are willing to do what they need to do to get the, that situation. But like some people will come here and just jump right on the, um, the system and, it's like America needs to pay attention to our homeless. I mean, I drive down the street on my way to work and I feel so bad every time. Like if I'm on the freeway, like if I take the freeway route, I won't see any homeless people, but I will see like campers. Um, and in this area, it's just like, I can't believe people are even trying to live like that. It's so hot in California. But like, if you go on like a rural street, just a regular street, there are homeless people just camping out like in nice neighborhoods. They've got a, a uh, what do you call those shopping carts just filled with a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm just like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why we can't put money into um, our mental health, 
money into our, uh, what do you call that, into those little small houses. They actually have a program um, that they were doing in uh, a couple towns over where they were make, building little small houses for the homeless people. And, you know, there's not much money that went into it because I think they only created like 20 of those houses. And if the government would just do that, start with the homeless people, you know, and start from the bottom up. Like you really don't even need to deal with the 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 rich people. But I do think that they should take some of the money from the rich people because it's going to benefit them too to help the poor people. And I know that goes back to that handout that my um, Tamika was saying before about everybody wants a handout. But we wouldn't be religious people if we look the other way like we all talk about how we're good faring people sometimes you can't look the other way you can't just be like in your own little bubble and can't be able to help someone out you know i'm the person that drives down the street and gives a, a homeless man five dollars i don't know what he's gonna do with it but i hope to god he he buys food that day you know but um well, here's the difference between me and you if someone is saying they, they, you know, they need money. Okay. Are you willing to do something? Are you willing to work <laughs> for that money? Or if you have a sign and you say you're hungry, there's a McDonald's over there. I will take you to the McDonald's and buy you dinner. And you'll be surprised how many of these people with signs that say need money for food will say, nah, that's all right. Go away. You know, they're just panhandlers. So the problem here is, like I said, uh, charity, compassion without common sense is the problem here. It is great to be compassionate, and we should. And like I said, I'm a Christian, so it is in my religious duty to be compassionate and help less fortunate if, if they are truly honestly less fortunate and not just out there conning people well i'll that's say why, this. always have to have charity on a local basis that's why the government always screws it up they give welfare to anybody and everybody lazy people who can be working or or you know whatever that's why it's our duty through charity because local charity knows who the people who actually are needy versus the people who are just conning us and stealing from us i am all for helping people who actually need a hand up not a hand out help them out help them get their life back on track and like you said with the small houses I've donated to a charity that was doing that kind of work. We need more of that. But that should be a charitable work from like-minded people like me and you who want to do that, not stealing from me and wasting that most of that money. Because that's the problem. The government wastes it. Charities are efficient. They're, they're done with volunteers. Government... The government bureaucrats slash 50% off the top, and then very little of it actually gets to people who need it. Charities are far more efficient. Mm. 
Yeah, I never really joined up for a lot of charities. I just figure handing them like $5 would be good enough. And if they decide to buy liquor that day, because I am who I am, like if I decide to spend maybe like, I don't know, $5 on some, I don't know, maybe uh, I splurge a little bit at Burger King or I splurge on getting my nails done or splurge on doing my hair, you know, I feel like, that money if they want to go splurge it it's a human nature to like want to have that like if they go buy a beer or something that's on them you know that's what they choose to do but i did my civil duty my charity by giving them the fine five dollars and at some point in time if you actually find yourself out on the street like i don't understand how much common sense you should have at this point in time because we never know if they're medically you know not even able to take care of themselves maybe they're on mental ill maybe their drugs have totally taken over on them i mean and they can't help themselves anymore they don't know they don't take showers they don't i mean maybe they do maybe they go to a bathroom or a restroom and they do do that you know i've seen a lot of these people they look they come into buildings and they go in the the bathrooms and do all that who knows what their situation is it's like an individual um assessment at this point but i just feel like if we wait for you know the government the government's probably got so much going on so much it's like a parent taking care of five children you know you gotta individually take care of them individually different and the government is the parent we are all the children and you know our needs are going to be different so we need to some point in time just come together and figure out what we all need. It's going to have to start with cleaning up with the earth and making everything, um, you know, more, what is it, organic. You know, all this gas, all these fumes, all of that. That's where the cancer is coming from. That's where people are dying. That's where all the, you know, all the things are being created that's killing us off one by one by one. And, you know, we can touch down on the little things but really it should just be the big things that we start with and not worry about like i mean wars in other country like they're just so stupid like they, they like this is what you're fighting about this is what you really want to fight about you know like we question, need more it's a question of priorities and that's again the the uh, the, the the problem with if with government is there's always somebody in their interest to enrich themselves to do something with our tax dollars. And it's like uh, priorities. Helping homeless should indeed be a priority. Uh, help, you know, helping people who actually are indeed hungry, and which is why, you know, not spending money, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to pick on California here. <laughs> free heroin needles. Yeah, priorities. Money should be going to kids who need meals, not to some addict so he could shoot up with a free government provided needle. Mm. I think they think that they're they're doing um, everybody justice because you know, I work in healthcare and every time I have a different patient that comes in and I have to treat them individually and differently, 
And I feel like that's what the government is doing. So when it comes to heroin addicts, they, they'll put out those, um, those clinics um, for them to go get their medicine. But if they don't want their medicine, like, and you're walking down the street and you just happen to stumble and land on a heroin needle, here you are with HIV or whatever, hepatitis, any kind of whatever that person had. And I think the government is just saying, okay, well, we're trying to do everything that we possibly can to cover every single person. And it's hard to, to pick and choose, but we're just going to throw it out there. We're going to deal with this problem. You're going to keep doing it. Here's, here's free needles. You're going to, um, we're, you know, we're going to put you on welfare, but you're going to keep having more and more children instead of trying to be self-sufficient. Well, guess what? The cutoff is going to be this. You can only have this much money. So stop having that many babies because you're not paying for them. We are. And, you know, they have to pick their battles wisely. And I know, like, it sounds like I'm, I'm picking up for California. I've lived here long enough and I've seen it. And I've, I know companies that actually give um, free sharps container to um, them. So that way they don't go leaving it around for a little kid to find. Yeah. Well, a free needle or one they buy or whatever discarded, like you said, then you stumble on it. It doesn't matter how they obtained it. You're still the one then dealing with the consequence. But the government cannot be everybody's mommy and daddy. We are founded on the, the individual and personal responsibility. You have to take responsibility for yourself. We can't be everybody's parent. That's true, but when certain places, and I don't want to say the government's doing it, but when I, like, counties and cities are getting rid of their um, their mental health clinics, you know, there's, we used to have a, several of them. Now, one is, like, about, I think, about an hour and a half away from here, and it's, like, how does a mental health person living on the street get an hour and a half away? If somebody's not driving around to come pick them up, then spend their time um, out on the streets because they wouldn't know where to go, but they closed the local one where they were going to all the time. And they said, here you go. This is where you need to be because we're closing. I'm homeless or I'm not homeless. I don't know. I don't have a car. I don't know how to get there. So now we have all these estranged people with mental health issues that are just running around everywhere because of, as soon as the facility closed, they have no place to go. Yeah, and, and that, that's an issue of distinction. There needs to be distinctions. Uh, people who are indeed mentally ill and need our help, we need to help them. There are other people uh, that choose, for whatever reason, choose to be homeless, uh, whether that's part that they're mentally ill or not, it's another thing. But especially like California, with the weather so nice, some people do it just as a lifestyle. And because yeah, uh, we've had that in Michigan, we open a homeless shelter, you take the people to the homeless shelter, and they just walk right back out again and walk right back out to the street. They don't want to live a structured life. They want to live out on the street. So there's like we made on the immigration issue 
distinctions. And like I said, everything isn't black and white. There's a whole lot of gray in the middle. Well, for those people that do walk back out, it's kind of like jail. If you put somebody in jail for a long period of time, and then you say, hey, there you're done with your time. Go out onto the um, streets and make a life. But you've been in there for years and years and years. You don't even know. It's like uh, someone in the military. You've been in the military for so long. Now you have PTSD. Now you have all these issues that you don't even know how to deal with it. And gratefully, the veterans that get out, they have all the, they have a lot of resources. I won't say they have all, but they have a lot of resources to help them. But like if you get out of jail, you should have some sort of resource, maybe therapy, maybe some sort of job or something that you're coming out to. But when you come out to, um, you know, you get out of jail, your family passed away, um, you have no money, you have no place to live. But like the homeless people, like you try and you bring them in, you know, shelter, you can stay the night and then you could eat your food. They need that constant, constant, it's like consistency. They need to know how to get acclimated back into the real world. They just can't just go in and say, okay, buddy, now, now we've got you all set up with clean clothes and we got you all a little, um, a little shelter in at nighttime. Um, now go out there. Like you gotta, you gotta hold their hand and walk them over to, um, you know, their, mental health place to get their medicine then you got to walk them over to where they got to go to um look for a job then they got to find a job that they can deal with with their mentality so it's like a step-by-step -step process that people need that sometimes a lot of places are not able to give they can give the bare minimum bare minimum is just shelter at night for somewhere for you to sleep yeah well you're talking you were talking about uh criminals and and that is a very good point uh, i don't know about california but i do know michigan has several prison to home uh charities that look out for those who did their time and hopefully been reformed and how do we help acclimate them back to normal life so yes that's an issue you can't just, like you said, throw open the door, shove them out the door, you're on your own. They need help transitioning. And thankfully, here in Michigan. Hi, everyone. This is Stacey R. at Some Real Shit Podcast, streaming everywhere for your listening pleasure. Thanks to Spotify Anchor. Without Spotify Anchor, I wouldn't be able to create some real shit podcast great again. Anchor makes everything so easy from recording, editing, and even distribution. The tutorials and guides are so easy to follow, it's child's play. I also want to thank Spotify for getting me through my day. I have created over 500 plus songs playlists and divided them from old school rock, alternative, underground, country, rap, or R&B. And on Sundays, I feel gospel. Thanks, Spotify Anchor, for some real shit podcasts. I appreciate you. We have organizations that do that. There clearly are nowhere near enough of them. Uh, and especially with the fact that we're putting so many low-level 
drug offender in prison uh, that probably shouldn't be there. I'm not for legalization of drugs, but I am for decriminalization. That's a whole separate issue. It make it a civil fine infraction for low levels. Now, drug dealers, uh, yeah, got to lock them up. The, the drug traffickers that are moving large chunks for, uh, for uh, you know, distribution, yes, that's illegal. You need to lock them up. But the person who's growing a pot plant in his backyard doesn't need to be locked up for several years. Well, the drug dealers, I would say they need to, here's my crazy hypothetical thinking on that. The drug dealers might need to choose, go get a job or go to jail. So your problem, which all drug dealers are going to say, the reason why that they're drug dealers is because they don't have a job that's going to pay enough. So, okay, so go to school and get a good, you don't have to go to college, just go get a vocational job that's going to pay your bills and enough to get on your feet and then maybe in the process start a business you know there's always um things out there that can do it so they should have the option you are a low-level drug dealer right and you're just selling just weed in particular you need to go get a job or go to jail the high-end drug dealer who's selling stuff that are ruining people's lives i feel like those are the ones who need to spend a little time in there you know, choose. Do you want to, to spend the rest of your life destroying other people's life? Yes. Okay. Go to jail. No, then go get a job. I feel like that's, that it might be a slap on the wrist for that situation, but those people need to realize how much those drugs have destroyed people's lives. Especially today with everything being fentanyl waste, one pill kills. And yes. a lot of people don't even realize that something may have fentanyl in it. You know, they just don't know. Unfortunately, they're trusting these criminals to sell them something illegally, and, and they're going to take their word for it that it's okay. It, that seems crazy to me. <laughs> but it does. It does because even with like going to a bar, you don't even know if your drink is being roofied. So, you know, yeah. that. that what criminals do they they deceive people yeah and and uh, crime is one of the sub issues you know because terrorism obviously is crime you, killing innocent people is murder it's, it's a crime but i delve into the sub theme of other crimes and you mentioned like with the military coming out with ptsd in coming soon uh, I'm screwing up my own title. Terror strikes coming soon to a city near you. I also deal with the issue of PTSD and the other issue of survivor's guilt. Someone like 9-11, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. tomorrow. There's countless people that did get out of those towers and they're wondering, why did I live? while others died and that leads to stress and depression and suicidal thoughts so a sub theme in my book is about ptsd survivor's guilt and suicidal thoughts and all lives having value right 
you may not realize it today. And, and I speak from personal experience. I'm a suicide attempt survivor. I, I know about depression. I've been there. I know I still deal with depression today, but you don't know even things seem so bleak to you today. You do not know what tomorrow may bring and you need to talk to people and, uh, you know, because who knows what may happen, like I say, tomorrow, next month, next year, things can improve if, if you talk to people and work toward improving things uh, and your life may have value. I like to tell this story because you mentioned cancer a few times. So I like to give this story, all right? If you're having suicidal thoughts, all right, and you're gone, who knows what you may have done tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. You, you as insignificant as you think you are, do bring light and value to others' lives. And what if you committing suicide then have somebody else do the same because then they feel it's worthless. But let's switch that up. Instead, you help save someone's life from committing suicide. Then that person has a child later, something they may never have foreseen would happen with their life, or they influence someone who then has a child to go on to cure cancer. In a way, you in a small part that you played help cure cancer. It's like the movie that we see every Christmas and people don't think enough about. It's a wonderful life. George, oh. George stops a pharmacist from poisoning a child that would have just killed that child and destroyed that family. And in the process, destroyed the pharmacist and his family's life because he committed suicide. The angel showed him the error of his way that he impacted people's lives and the world would be a worse off place without him. Uh, and again, that's a movie. Obviously, it's overly dramatic. You may not impact people's lives to that degree, but everything you do impacts others. And if even if it's just smiles, uh, occasional jokes to make somebody else's day better, who then makes somebody else's day better. It's like the old Pantene shampoo commission, uh, commercial, you know, where it said, you tell two people, then they tell two people, then they should help. It, it's exponential. You make somebody's life better. They make other people's lives better. And it goes out from there. We are all responsible for trying to make this world a better place. That's beautiful. That just like closed us everything all together. We <laughs> may have disagreed on a little on a little thing, but in like I always say, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, and that's pretty much what I wanted. And and that's beautifully said, you know. 
So tell us about like um, where to get your book and, um, you know, pricing or anything like that. Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, I mean, I, I could have poured more into this book. It could have been another 50 or 100 pages longer. But at some point, you, you've got to stop. And I stopped where I stopped and kind of kept it down to the actual story being about 250 pages. The overall book is 268 pages because I wanted to get the book at $20. I didn't want someone to pay $30 for a book. Our budgets are tight. Inflation is bad. So $20, I figured, was a somewhat reasonable price. Uh, for someone to spend on entertainment and, and what they may get from it. So you can, of course, get it through any online retailer like Barnes and Noble or Books a Million. And yes, of course, Amazon. But I know a lot of people are not Jeff Bezos fans uh, because he, he could obviously charge a lot less for things uh, and still be a multi-billionaire. <laughs> but right. so people like to support other places like Barnes and Noble, which are, you know, their brick and mortar stores are in trouble because everybody's buying books from Amazon. So Barnes and Noble or Books a Million, but something special. You can have an autographed copy of the book. If you go to terrorstrikes.info slash buy, Again, that's terrorstrikes.info slash buy. If you buy the book directly for $20, this is open only to people with U.S. addresses, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm not obviously going to pay to ship it overseas. That costs more to ship it than it is to, for you to buy the book in Europe. Yeah. So U.S. residents only. Uh, if you're in Europe, and I do sell books in Europe, I sell books in Australia. Uh, this is an international book, even though it takes place in the United States. Uh, if you buy it for $20 at terrorstrikes.info slash buy, uh, if you pay with your credit card, obviously, I will personalize it to you and send it to you shipping free also. So you'll have an autographed copy and I'll ship it to you free within the United States. That's certainly not something you're going to get from Barnes and Noble uh, or Books a Million. Uh, and if you uh, if you live abroad, if you live outside the continental United States, again, you I mean you could go to any book online retailer in Canada or England or Australia. Uh, again, I've sold books in Australia. There's a Booktopia is their online retailer there. You can go to Booktopia. You can find it anywhere online or walk into any mom and pop bookstore. If there's still a mom and pop bookstore near you, I really you know, recommend you go in there. They can look it up and they can order it for you uh, rather than you know, supporting multi-trillion dollar Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I take it you're not a fan of Amazon. <laughs> yeah, you know, to, I mean, to be honest and fair, I, do I use Amazon at times? Certainly. Uh, they're convenient. 
but if I can buy right. from a local mom and pop shop, I will. I prefer to support small business wherever and whenever I can. You know, I'm a regular at the, the small restaurants around, you know, it's sure I, I still get McDonald's and Burger King, the multi-billion dollar franchise food on occasion, but I prefer my local owned big boy, which you would know big boy started out of California. I was in California uh, a, a while back and I went out of my way to find a big boy when I was in California because I knew it originated there. Uh, in Michigan, we have the Elias Brothers Big Boys franchises. And in Ohio, it's just the Frisch's Brothers franchises. So, you know, I, I prefer locally owned small mom and pop, small businesses uh, anywhere I can because small business really is the driving force of America. It, you know, a, a small business owner is not making, raking in money hand over fist. I want to help them to live and survive and, and to hire more of our neighbors. We were talking about jobs, right? You need to support the local small businesses in order for there to be the jobs for people to work at. We can't all work at multi-million dollar corporations. I used to work for Kmart in, in the IT department was one of the things I did. You know, Kmarts are all gone now, of course, but you, we can't all work for big conglomerates. We need to support the mom and pop shops uh, to have local jobs for local people. Well, I think Amazon kind of helps out because you can buy stuff on wholesale and become your own small business and sell it on Amazon. So you can be a small business owner and sell on Amazon. Yeah, no, that is true. And then there's also Etsy, E-T-S-Y. A lot of people who are small business owners, uh, instead of like uh, either not selling on Amazon or in addition to selling on Amazon, uh, they sell through Etsy or of course, a lot of people put stuff up on eBay too. A lot of small businesses will sell excess inventory via uh, eBay. So yeah, I mean, they, they all play their own part, no doubt. Well, I I love this conversation. We, we kind of didn't catch on the writing style and all of that, but I'm assuming we can talk about that next time if you have time if you have availability i know you're a very busy man yeah well like you know like today thank you uh, and I'm, i forgot i meant to thank you at the top thank you for moving this interview a little later uh it's so like they say you know if you've heard the saying if maybe you haven't i'm busier than a one-legged man in an ass kicking contest i i was up early this morning i left the house at 11 to drive two hours to an event. It was a, a, a three hour event. Then I had to spend two hours driving home. Uh, and I would have had to have left that early if you weren't so gracious to move the interview a little later. And then the, uh, the minute I hang up with you, I've got to finish writing an article for the Liberty Beacon. I've just joined their team to write for the Liberty Beacon. Uh, my first article will be up tomorrow, September 11th. So, yeah, I, 
I'm real busy, but I would love, love to find a time that we could work out together to discuss, yeah, creative writing in general and anyone and everyone's ability to publish something. Uh, that's a, it's a good topic. You know, thousands of books come out every week. It's the market is saturated, but if you've got something that's near and dear to you, then you should go ahead and indeed publish it. But the likelihood of getting a major publishing house to pick you up as a new writer is slim to none. But there are what I call self-publishing and then also assisted publishing. There's a major difference. But if you've got something like a family legacy book that you know, you know, there's going to be a hundred books printed max. You could go self-publishing, uh, reasonably done, easily done. And uh, like my book is on Illumify, actually McHenry Press, which is an assisted publishing because, uh, of course, HarperCollins, uh, my uh, likelihood of getting their attention and getting them to publish my book was slim to none. So I went to Illumify Media and, and, and they helped me immensely. And they have actual HarperCollins former employees in that organization. So you get a professional quality book. You know, they spend a lot of time. We went back and forth for four weeks over every little detail about what's on the cover, what's on the back, what font to use inside. And, and I have uh, some special formatting. There's actually more than one font to make the readability better. So if, if that is a goal, even if it's just a personal goal, then you can achieve it. And I would love to come back on some other time and go more in depth with that. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So the Anchor app, it kind of cut it out after a certain time. So I'm hoping that it saves everything. So I'm just going to leave it on until it, um, now and save. Yeah, I stayed connected. I never cut off. So. <laughs> yeah. So we're still we're still on on uh, communicating. So yeah, when you're available, I have your email, right? Or do you have an email? Well, you've got my you've got my cell phone that you can text me. Yeah. Okay. So you rather just communicate through text? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I mean that way we're talking direct. Or of course we could go through the uh, the uh, Matchmaker FM. Uh, system. Uh, oh, no, that's no. <laughs> Absolutely. That is great for like maybe a couple, but I never know when I'm getting messages sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think I know what you're saying. Sometimes it will be an hour after somebody left me a message that I get a email saying there's a message. So, so yeah, you've got my direct SMS number. So we should probably just communicate directly back and forth with that. Okay. So um, when you're available, let me know. Um, usually 
right now my availability are Thursdays in the morning and then Thursdays in the afternoon. I have a class between 10 and 12, um, but that, that class is over October 6th. And um, I'm fairly available other than the kids and, and laundry and doing all that stuff <laughs> on, <laughs> on the weekend. So the weekend I am very much available. Uh, okay. Uh, you, well, you said Thursdays. Uh, I'm usually good, yeah, Thursday mo mornings, because again, you're three hours behind me. So that, that you know, Thursday morning and afternoons, because, uh, you know, most of the podcasts record at night. So yeah, I'm pretty booked at nights. But if you've got a morning uh, or early afternoon, your time free, that that should be able to work. So Thursday at 12.30 is the best time for me because my class is over. My class is online and it's over at 12. Um, so 12.30 my time. Yeah, so that's 3.30 my time. Yeah, that, that would work. That's not a problem. Okay. So if you want, we could talk about the, um, the writing process. Um, just just giving me like a, a newbie to a, or a professional to a newbie kind of like because it's my the podcast mostly about like my journey from healthcare into just doing all the hobbies and all the stuff that I've always wanted to do but I couldn't because of course I got to pay the bills so I've got to stick with what I know and but I want to dive into my writing I want to dive into my art and I want to do the podcast and all that so running actually running a business doing the things that I love to do and so I'm reaching out to like different authors and um you know different people and giving their insight into things that um I'm dealing with or uh, the journey that I'm going through yeah so did you want to do that on the 15th um, hold on. Let's see what I got going on in the 15th. Supposedly, I had some somebody booked on the 15th. No, his is the 17th. Um, da -da 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 -da. The twins are Sunday. Yeah, if you want to do the 15th, we can. Okay, I wrote it down on the calendar. <laughs> Okay, um, Leonard at uh, 12, 12.30 my time. Yep. Okay, and you still want to do it through Anchor? Sure, that's fine. Okay, all right. Sometimes people, I've done it through Zoom because now you could do uh, video recording with Anchor. Uh-huh, uh, that's good. Yeah, Zoom is fine by me too, but I mean, Anchor works. I, I uh, don't see any reason why it's got to be video. <laughs> um, no, because then I've got to get all dossied up and stuff. Yeah. And... <laughs> right. And then I, I got to shave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll I, don't save those to, I don't have to shave to talk to you audio. <laughs> no, no, exactly. So let's uh, mark the calendar for September 15th at 1230. And um, I will send you the anchor link. And um, 
Yeah, because you know what? Because the the zoo, the Zoom, it's too short anyways. And the way we talk, we could go on for hours. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for the time, Leonard. I will edit it and I will send you a copy of it. And um, send me a, I need the front of your book though. So I need a copy of that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll text you uh, the cover copy uh, as soon as I hang up. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. What are we doing? September 8th. What's going on? What happened? What 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 did I miss? I can't do anything. He's always trying to kill me while I'm doing something. Why are you doing something in the middle of a battlefield? Mommy, can I use your phone? For what? Use my phone, right? Is this is this gonna make you money? No, I'm I'm trying to upload something. Oh. Your dad started calling you guys. Call me like fifty times. Oh. 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 You're so good. You brought me ten hangers. Of Hold on, let me make sure everything's saved. Please tell me it's not seven hours. Oh, maybe. I don't know. What is today? Uh, I think nine, today. 
no, place of pen. Thank you for listening to Some Real Shit Podcast. Thank you to our guests. For any information on our topics or guests, message me at your platform. If you like this episode or any previous episode, follow us by hitting the notification and share to a friend. Thank you. Bye.